Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Rates, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 14, The Storyteller. Teleplay by Kurt Michael Benzmiller, that is a last name if I ever heard one, and Ira Stephen Bear, and directed by David Livingston. This episode aired on May 2nd, 1993. This week on Deep Space Nine, Chief O'Brien is appointed a spiritual leader of a Bajoran village. Meanwhile, Jake and... Jake and Nog try to help their new friends settle a struggle between two Bajoran villages. Alright, well, here we are. Episode 14, The Storyteller, which I was not looking forward to. And I believe, I can't remember on which episode it was, but earlier this season I was like, ugh, we're going to have to cover Storyteller, aren't we? And here we are, covering Storyteller. So, uh, Elise, what did what did you think of the episode? Um, before I get into that, I just want to say that having only seen this episode once before this past week, I did not remember this episode at all. I do remember people saying they didn't like it, um, but I don't remember, I didn't remember the plot. In any case, this episode was real stupid, right? Yeah, it's just, it's, 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 it's really dull. And I think... I think for all of its sins, what and like its its dullness, what doesn't hold up for me the most is like it makes no sense with like what we've seen of Bajoran life and Bajoran spiritual life um, up to this point in the show. And I get that it's the first season and like stuff that coalesces later and gets confirmed later um, isn't there yet because it's the first season and like fair enough. Um, but I just feel like it makes the Bajorans and specifically the Bajorans in the village, the, the titular storyteller village, um, just really dumb and kind of like cartoon bumpkin townsfolk caricatures. And it's really, it's interesting to me too, because I was doing some like digging around and, and some research or whatever into the background of the production and the original story pitch for this episode was written by Kurt Michael Benzmiller, who has a co-tell play credit with Iris Stephen Bear. And it was originally a, a story he that Benzmiller had pitched for the next generation. Hmm. Right? So I think that's why two words like not supposed to be Bajor. It's been like been massaged into Bajor. It's been massaged into the show. And it's like no one no one I think acts out of character on this show on this episode of like the ds9 cast but like it doesn't it doesn't feel like a ds9 episode to me and like reading that about the tng this the genesis of this story being a next generation episode it makes sense because you can see the enterprise going to a planet like that and having both those same plots both the a plot and the b plot right and it just i think what really grinds my gears aside from the general dullness of the episode um is it just makes the bajorans look i think really silly and really really stupid and i don't i think part of why i like deep space science so much is its exploration of bajor and bajoran culture and bajoran spiritual life because the station doesn't go anywhere they're like there in the bajoran sector um so yeah i think that's why part of the reason i was dreading this episode 
I was thinking I could also see it as a Voyager episode. Like, from the perspective of, like, they, you know, they show up somewhere unknown, obviously, because Voyager's in the Delta Quadrant and they're very far from home and then, you know, run into this. Where, like, some group that we'll never see again looks, looks, like, mindless and... Like, no one there is, like, questioning any of this, which is kind of weird. Um, but right. I could see that in Voyager, too. I felt like the whole storyteller, like, plot line was just, like, trying to be, like, Watchmen. Not to get into that part too much, but just, like, <laughs> the fact that they, like, were creating this, like, false enemy to get everyone together. I said to my mom earlier, I was like, it's like the WMDs. um but yeah so that was kind of a lesser a lesser a lesser watchman although i guess it is better than the wmds because that was really bad um i didn't find the acting that great in this episode um there were some of the lines when julian and miles were going to bejar that they just felt really stiff to me like the they were just saying their lines. I, I don't... I'm making, like, stupid faces. I just didn't feel like they did that great of a job. So those are my uh, initial thoughts. Yeah, and, like, I think... I think the redeeming qualities of, like, the episode for me, and I think the scene that I, like, like the most, and I'm probably jumping ahead, but we're just in initial thoughts. It's okay. Um, is the pre-Bajor stuff on, like, the shuttlecraft and that bit where O'Brien wants someone else to go with Julian and asks Cisco for permission to not go. Um, like, I think that stuff kind of worked for me, but the rest of the episode, it's just, like, I legit almost didn't watch it (laughs) before (laughs) recording this podcast. I, like, literally put it off to the last moment. Um, but I did watch it. But yeah, it's definitely one I usually skip. So I'm not a skipper, although if, to be honest, um, watching TOS like every Tuesday night, except for tonight. I might watch it later. But um, last week was episode three hundred three. I don't oh the the paradise something. And I actually skipped, I, I watched half of it and I turned it off and I have no intention of going back to that episode. And that's the first Star Trek oh. I've ever turned off, like for the first time watching it. There are, um, See, stereotypical, like, syndrome, right? yeah, like there's these stereotypical people like dressed like these Native American costumes and it's so, it's just so cringe and... It's just I couldn't watch it, and it wasn't even like a good plot. Like it was, it was, it was kind of boring. So I just was like, I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna watch something else instead, and turned it off. Yeah, yeah. The I think the best thing that that came from Paradise Syndrome, I think it's what it's called, and like yeah, Kirk loses his memory, and they find these indigenous folks that these aliens have have taken up from from Earth and transplanted there, and it's just really, really tropey and racist as fuck. Um, but the best thing to come of that episode is there's this um, 
uh, listeners might be familiar with the Twitter account Swear Trek. There's a, a Swear Trek gif where it takes gifts from Star Trek and puts like other captions on them, and it's Spock looking at Kirk and this really stereotypical um, spaghetti Western level like indigenous indigenous dress, and Spock kind of shakes his head, and the caption is. Your costume's racist as fuck. You always <laughs> see it again, like, around Halloween. Kind of the, the run-up to that. You know, oh, that's good. As, like, a reminder. Cultural appropriation, everything else like that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so listeners. the only good thing to come out of that episode other, was that swear yeah. Yeah. Other people's cultures are not to be um, appropriated for Halloween. You've heard it here. Probably not first. Yeah. And, and like... Star Trek has a terrible, like, a lot of media has a terrible record for representation of indigenous cultures. And, I mean, you, you mentioned Voyager earlier. And oh, yeah. I guess to go on a little bit of a, a, a tangent here, because I really don't want to talk about this episode. Um, <laughs> so, of course, I have Voyager's more to say on officer... indigenous media, by the way, if we want to keep going on that road. <laughs> yeah, we should probably bring it back after this. But, uh, but Commander Chakotay is an indigenous character played by a... Um, uh, is is Robert Beltran? Is he Mexican? I, he's a a Latin actor playing an an indigenous person. But Voyager he's Mexican tried American. It says 90s, on Wikipedia. Is Mexican American? Perfect. He was born in California, um, but is I guess of Me- Mexican descent. His parents. Perfect. His parents cool. are from Mexico. Okay. Perfect. Um, but yeah, so Voyager hired an, uh, an alleged buddy of one of its executive producers, Rick Berman. Fuck um, Rick Berman. To be, thank you, to be the uh, indigenous kind of sensitivity reader, culture consultant. And turns out that that man was in a long line of fake indigenous folks making a buck by claiming indigenous identities that aren't theirs and that's why when voyager leans into some of that stuff especially early on in chakotay before the guy was fired when he was realized to be a fraud um it's as ham-fisted as that tos episode and it's like really bad it's like really cliches and not great bob but speaking of not great bob let's talk about season one episode 14 of deep space nine the storyteller. Did you want to start with the B plot with the yeah. negotiations on the station? Yes. So Bejar has asked DS9 to negotiate a land dispute between the Paku and the Navot. Um, I love that there was a bunch. Oh, this is something I liked. There were like a bunch of baseball references throughout this episode. Um, when I guess Kira was talking to Cisco, I watched this yesterday, but I who knows if I'm remembering correctly. Um, when I think Kira is like trying to make sure Cisco is ready for this um negotiation, and he's like, It's not my first time at the plate, and I was like, Oh, baseball, yeah. Um, yeah, she's like, The plate, and he just never, like, <laughs> and then um, Jake makes um, a baseball reference or is like playing with a base or wants to play in the hollow suite with um, Nog and he wants to like play baseball later. Dangling their feet, yes, no dangling on the promenade. D- dangling makes me think of Forrest Gump always when they would like he said he would, would dangle from the trees. <laughs> <laughs> 
with his like leg braces. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Haven't seen that movie in a long time and I yeah. No, Same no. actually. I'm thinking this I probably is, wouldn't uh, like listen. it as much. <laughs> well, it's just like I don't know. I had this tweet about see now we're talking about Forrest Gump. We really don't want to talk about this episode. I had this tweet the other day that I think you can that like the height of American Empire was how big of a deal Forrest Gump was with all of its like boomer shit and then like that started the decline of, of American Empire that we are currently living through right now was Forrest Gump 1994's Forrest Gump. Um uh, although the zenith of American civilization. Ironically, my two boomer parents do not like that movie. Well, good for them. They're they're definitely ahead of the curve there. Oh. Um. So the Pakus leader, I guess they were expecting some older what dude. What did you call me? Hmm. The Pakus leader. Oh, I'm not getting jokes today. This is like the second joke that someone said that I like went over my head. Um. Anyway. They're expecting like an older dude, I guess, and it's a young girl or young woman. I don't. I never know what like is a good age. Sexist. To, like, I never know like what is a good age to go from like girl to young woman. <laughs> um, that is not discourse that I have interest in getting into, though. All I need is time, <laughs> a moment that is mine, while I'm in between. Um, not a girl, not yet a woman. Pretty so there. No, cool. <laughs> I was a toxic fan myself. Um, the the Tetrach is the their leader, and they were surprised that it was this young woman, and her name is Vera Sewell, and her dad had died, so she was trying to live up to her dad's expectations or what she thinks her dad would do, and she acted like a spoiled brat the entire time. She, I found her really annoying. I mean, like, no, I hear you, but, like, she's so worried about, like, it's like, I mean, maybe there is, I mean, I hear you, but again, like, she's trying to be strong and live up to kind of this expectation and this legacy and to the stories that have been told or will be told or, like, kind of the you know the the weight of kind of the legacy there and so it's like and again like i, I keep coming back to the, like this could have been like it was originally an idea for a tng episode but like it kind of re- reminded me of the season two episode of tng like the delf the dolphin or the dolphin or however however you like pronounce that properly that's the one where wesley has his first love and she's being transported to go to the other planet and match and emmerich i think i pronounce it dolphin but i don't know if that's great it doesn't matter that's that's, i vaguely remember that basically it's like um so you can see like the nog and jake stuff being wesley and it's just like and that's where i think too where it feels not deep space nine to me because like the two main characters of the episode that have the arc in each of the plots are guest stars so you have the tetrarch in the the negotiation plot who learns the lesson 
right and gets the growth and you know gets to find her own her own footing and everything else and then in the storyteller plot which we'll get into in a little bit here it's the um uh, it's it's the apprentice well, i can't even remember what this the, the sarah like yes yeah, the sarah's apprentice. apprentice who gets through the arc is kind of like the main character really in that story along along with julian or along with miles mm-hmm. and julian's just kind of there so that's where it feels more like a this is a planet of the week story right of like tng or even voyager because like our our crew doesn't act out of character but they don't really have a lot to do right it's uh them helping the guest stars learn a lesson and like that doesn't feel even up to this point that doesn't feel very ds9 because like the majority of the season is each of the cast has kind of had their right. feature episode that's been about them. Right? Yeah. I, I didn't put this in the notes, but this reminds me. like, And I know early Deep Space Nine is very episodic, but we still have up to this point gotten to know a little bit of each character every episode. I don't think this episode, almost similar to the right. episode with Vosh and Q... I don't think we really learned anything about any of the characters, and I don't think it moved any story along. I guess this is a part of initial thoughts, but yeah, we're we're mixing it up, folks. But yeah, like I really don't feel like this episode added anything to the show at all. Actually, that's not true. Yeah, the one th- I agree. The one thing I think it really showed that Nog is I think it shows that I'm going to be very specific that no, that Nog like pays attention to what's going on around him when I feel like previously him and his dad have been portrayed as kind of like clueless so right. that is one character I think it kind of benefited but everyone else meh I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. Oh, it 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 does. Um, we get some fun teenagers teenaging and doing pranks, and we have the introduction of Odo's bucket where he he regenerates in, and there's a good there's a good prank bit with with some oatmeal. <laughs> I um, thought that was so. But funny. yeah, basic. <laughs> I know it was so stupid. Yeah, it was a good good bit for sure. It was like a good bit for sure, and basically, like the the crux of it is through getting to know Jake, and then having insights to, to Jake, and then Jake's perception and, and relationship with his dad. It helps the Tetrarch, who I don't do. I we get her name. Vera Sewell. Remember what it is? She's yeah. She's able to kind of connect with her own recently departed father and make compromise and is brave enough to like make the change and and whatever and it's it's all nice and like tied deeply in a bow never to be seen from or heard from again in classic star trek fashion um now i feel bad that i called the girl who lost her father recently annoying but she was so bratty at the beginning I, i i hear you and i don't like I mean that's that's it's I I get where you're coming from. It's all fair. I just like it. It kind of like reminds me of like when like 
you become like a manager or a team lead or something like that for the first time and like you're not confident in yourself so it's like i gotta follow the rules i gotta be a hard ass when like really like it's just gotta be human yeah no i get that (laughs) i just was like she was like excuse me she was just like a little yelly i don't know (laughs) it's fine my life was not ruined but by watching her it was just did you know that opportunity plus instinct equals profit did you know that somewhere (laughs) so what did i don't i kind of missed what (laughs) um i kind of (laughs) miss i kind of missed what um the negotiation was gonna be at the end of that like she was gonna give them their land and they were gonna get like trade or something i kind of tuned out at that point yeah so like totally fair and i'm probably only remembering because i literally just finished that episode like 40 minutes ago um no so like it was a disputed land border because the historic border was the river like we mentioned and during the occupation the river got rerouted so they were giving the land that they had claimed back with the rerouted river back to the other group but they were still going to be able to trade freely on either side of the river instead of it being like you can't leave your territory sort of thing. So there so are people, <laughs> excuse me, with still getting like the trade and financial benefits while not actually owning the land, whereas the other folks were going to get to like own the land. But still like, land disputes. Didn't we, we were talking freedom. about land disputes yeah. a little bit on. last time from Battle Lines. Um, yeah, that kind of felt a little topical. For more on that, listen to our episode on um, on Battle Lines. Yeah. I, yeah, it, it, I, I think, there, I think there are better parallels. <laughs> I'm just, um, I'm, I'm, re- I'm reaching for something yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. Well, Elise, I have a story to tell you. Yes. I'm listening. Just sit right back and you hear a tale. A tale of that fateful trip. It started from a wormhole port aboard this, aboard this tiny ship. The ship was a mighty runabout. Man. Anyways, yeah, I, I should have written this down. <laughs> I really was theme. like hoping um, you had a whole yeah. song to go. <laughs> you know what? If I had thought about it before and not watched the episode literally 40 minutes ago or 20 minutes ago, I probably would have. Friends, listeners. Um, but yeah, so... We are the most prepared all the time. Don't listen to that part. <laughs> we'll just... We'll, we'll cut it out or we'll leave it in and double it. I think we will it, leave it in and double um, it. There we go. All right, so there's a medical emergency and the fate of this village is at stake. Julian gets dispatched. Miles gets assigned to fly him there in the SS Minnow. And they find out that the medical emergency isn't a virus. What is threatening the destruction of the village is the death of one man, the Sarah, who is the village storyteller, who once a year for a week tells a story and convinces the local smoke monster to <laughs> stay away 
So I found it interesting that they named him Sarah. Um, it made me think of. Yeah, I would have just named him Shiraz. <laughs> well, a petite Syrah is a very good grape and wine. And I was thinking about it last night, and I think that you would really enjoy that style. Um, it's a full-bodied red wine, which is seems like it would be up your alley. Um, anyway, so I've had it before. Oh, okay. I, I, I like it. I prefer like a like a cab. I still prefer a cab sauv, but um. So, Anyways, sorry, <laughs> so Miles does not want to hang out with Julian. Um, I feel like they didn't make Julian annoying enough for Miles' reaction to him to be, like, to make sense. <laughs> like, he was just... I mean, maybe because we... I mean, I think you agree with me that Julian's a little charming, even when he's being stupid. Um, and uh-huh. I feel like... He he was like a little, you know, he's a know-it-all and whatever, and but I don't think he's like someone I'm like, "Oh no, I can't hang out with that person." Do you think right? I don't know. Maybe Miles Sorry, maybe Miles and... just really knows that Julian is in love with Garrick and maybe Miles is homophobic. I mean, we know he's racist against Cardassians, so yeah. maybe he is homophobic. I don't know. Uh, um, but yeah, so oh that was just oh kind of funny. It's as as we said when Lozzie was on, because the episode that he was on was a Julian episode, but Miles wasn't really involved. I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that t- us. <laughs> The two of them are become friends, so to see them before they're friends is just really funny to me. Um, I liked at the end that they still weren't friends. <laughs> oh yeah, but this is really like the start of them being like they've had a couple scenes together, right? Um, but this is kind of the start of the first time we've like seen them kind of as a pair, and like we like we've talked about before that the show will continue to to pair them together so it's kind of nice this is this is the beginning and who knows what what dreams may come <laughs> um i really enjoyed that i mean there's i liked this storyline and the stuff between them better than the other the b plot but um i really did like that julian kind of flat out asked him like am I annoying you? And then explains to him that he knows he's chatty and that he gets like that when he's nervous. And I was like, Julian, I've never related to you more in my life because I am the most chatty when I'm nervous. And sometimes I go overboard and I feel like if it like people get like, oh, that girl's weird. Um, And I just felt really seen actually in that moment when he was saying that. It was just really... I was really able to relate to that. No, for for sure. And, and like, I think, like, that whole sense of kind of, like, Julian's confident and he's cocky, but, like, it actually, like, a lot of times seems to be a bit of that kind of, like, false bravado or, like, overcompensation or, like, whatever, which, like... I don't know, I, I like... 
it hints at this level, and I, I mean, I don't think the show's really like deeply explored it yet. Um, but like this level of like self awareness that Julian has, and then insecurity about his self awareness. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah. So they try to heal this Roth. He's too old. He's about to die. He fights off the smoke monster, the Dalrock, with his stories. And then dies and makes O'Brien the next Syrah. Some nice little, it's not so nice either. Like humor ensues. He, Jillian doesn't want, or Miles doesn't want to be there. Jillian thinks the whole thing's a little amusing, which I guess it's supposed to be. Um, I have a question. Yeah. Do you think they were? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> do you think they were trying to let him pick one of those women, or do you think they were trying to give him a harem of women, Miles? No, I think it was his his pick. I think it was he was to, like they were like el- the eligible bachelorettes, and Ju- or Miles as the new Sarah had his his pick of a wife. So I feel like that's something to unpack about this village in Bejor that they're just rounding up the ladies that are eligible to give to the Sarah. <laughs> like, ew. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. What do you think um, Kira would say if she knew this village was doing this? Do you think they ever told her? I, I just, that's why, like, it's just... <laughs> I mean, I don't expect, yeah. like, a real answer. Just, like, a, what do you, what would your, like, imagination be of that scene? Where, like, Miles was telling Kira about well, the ladies. It's just, it's... This just isn't... It's just this. It just this whole episode and all this stuff that takes place on like Bejor. Like, I have a really tough time like reconciling with everything we've seen about Bejor up to this point. Right. And then I guess spoiler alert for like everything that we'll see after. I really right. Yeah. So it's just kind of like. I think we just have to pretend that this happened on a completely different planet. Like we just have to pretend it wasn't Bejor. Yeah. So basically, and why are like Elise, you made the like Watchmen comparison earlier. The smoke monster. I'm just gonna call it the smoke. Monster. Yeah, I, I wrote that in the notes. I don't know if you saw it. Monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay. It's a good callback. Good I callback. just needed everyone to know um, that I thought of it too. No, sorry. Should have <laughs> let you. Say I'm, just, um, I'm just being. No, an the ass. smoke monster comes. Comes because there's a magic bracelet that has a shard of. See, this sounds so. Even for Star Trek, this sounds so fucking stupid as I try to explain it. Because there's a. There's like. And they tie it back. Or they try to tie it back in like a piece of an orb. Yeah. But there's a magic bracelet. I missed the. I completely missed. A thousand years. I missed the bracelet. So sorry. I shouldn't interrupt you because I need to know this information. So there's the magic bracelet that has a piece of like the orb in it that when the village was on the face of like self-destruction because everybody was fighting someone created this imaginary threat of the smoke monster with the magic bracelet to bring the village together and so every year during harvest or whatever the fuck they have to like wave the magic bracelet and tell a story so all the good vibes of unity and the people can make the smoke monster go away and it's just dumb that's so like the, that's there's so an assassination bad. attempt on O'Brien. <laughs> There's an assassination attempt on O'Brien because the old apprentice is angry because he 
fucked up the, the magic bracelet ritual <laughs> and it's just then he ends up doing it because miles has no idea what he's doing unfortunately and then oh, he I, becomes the new Saran. I have comments. Gets, gets to pick from which of the brides. <laughs> he gets his cho- Please, choice of the I'm ladies. Done, I'm literally done talking about this. Yeah. Okay, so the scene where Miles is just like saying what he thinks he's supposed to be saying to Dalrock, that's the smoke monster's actual name, is like, fuck you, I'm still gonna beat you guys up and like you can call him dal for sure oh okay dal rock sounds like it should be like my rap name or something like i should be like in the beastie boys like having the word rock in my name anyway um that was really a corny joke um okay so there's the scene where like miles is trying to do his shit and then um it's obviously not working and I really feel like the scene would have been better if the apprentice guy, or whatever he was, figured out on his own that he should take over and help everyone, rather than having Julian specifically pointed out to him. I felt like it would have been more impactful. Not that any of this was impactful at all, but I feel like it would have been more impactful if that guy, like realize on his own that he was like supposed to help everyone rather than having julian say it like it just made it like it was like obvious i don't know sometimes i felt like sometimes i feel with star trek we're like i mean i understand like it's not like you know there's a lot of science stuff that we don't understand so it's not like which is fine but like it's not like it's never super complicated, but I do feel like stating the obvious is, like, maybe a little beneath it. Or should be beneath it, maybe. Well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and, like, I guess, like, at the same time, too, it's, like, they needed something for Julian to do. Yeah, no, yeah. I fully understand that. But just in that moment, I was like, this would just be better if that guy realized it on his own. But we have to, like, have our superior Starfleet officers looking... We have to have our superior superior yes. Starfleet officers saving the day and, and looking down on the townsfolk with the magic bracelet. Yeah. I really, really miss the magic bracelet. I felt like the shawl was something, but maybe it was just the outfit. Yeah, I think it was just the outfit. Yeah, but I, I feel like... Like, part of, like, the vestments. But. Yeah, I don't know. But the way they were, like, holding it out, like, they were, like, flying felt, like, important. You can't see me, but I'm doing something with my arm. I think arms. that was just the wind from the smoke monster. I yeah, mean, like, pop- probably. The bracelet they put on, like, the palms and, like, would hold out, like... I legitimately like need to, like, look... I feel like I... Oh, maybe the more I think of it, the more I feel like maybe I do know what this bracelet looks like. I really miss the bracelet. When you Google storyteller bracelet, um, it's not related to Deep Space Nine because I forgot to put that in the search, but um, it's a lot of shops selling like native storyteller Navajo blah, blah, blah. And I'm like wondering how legit these are. They're cute though. But I will not get one because I'm 
not native and it would be stupid if I had one. Um, yeah. I'll look up the bracelet later. I know that was riveting. Great podcasting. Great podcasting. I mean, um, it's fine. I know. It's, it, yeah. No, it is. It's it, it's great when it's a great audio format when we look at pictures <laughs> and then talk about the pictures. I was just talking about and overall. Zoom better when we don't find the pictures. <laughs> well, you can cut that if you want to. I just uh, meant overall. Like neither of us were like excited about this episode. Yeah, it was just really speaking. Really, I was bored. Yep, yep, it was really boring. Well, Elise, before we move into our regular segments of the episode and kind of start moving into the the final phase of our episode here on Storyteller, do you have any kind of closing thoughts? Um, no. Except maybe this was my, I don't remember what was my, I liked this less than Cueless. Same. Same. I think that's my final thought. So, thought, so, so this yeah. is the worst episode we've seen so far. Yeah, I think it is too. And like for like, and like a lot of the criticisms are like this could have been and would have been a TNG episode, which like that was the same thing like we talked about like with Cueless. I think Cueless would have been a better TNG episode. This would have still been a bad Next Generation episode to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. 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 Would have probably made sense more. Oh, I have a question. I'm sorry. Okay. Yep. In your research on this being a TNG episode idea did they mention whether it would have been bejor still um i my guess is no because when it was pitched bejor didn't exist okay it was like going to be like it, it was, was earlier it was in the story pile like in season two or season three. Oh, okay and like they hadn't really thought of ds9 yet at that point um got it so no like they would it would have been some other planet which is why i think the culture is totally right. different and like nonsensical that then had to get like massaged in but because of the yeah. of like the episode or whatever just there, wasn't yeah. able to, to do it that way the reason i asked is because i was thinking it would have been funny to watch picard and roe do some um negotiations <laughs> um yeah. Uh, yeah no yeah and i didn't see who like would have been like would like Jordy have been the storyteller would it like would it have been will being like Riker being this like i don't know about like that part but i feel like they would have made it will and like it wouldn't have i feel like that would have been worse than o'brien because like o'brien so like i love o'brien but he's so like there's always something that's weird happening to him like at least once a season so i feel like it's it makes more sense for him to like have this weird thing happen to him where he like looks miserable. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know about you, Elise, but I am feeling pretty, pretty parched. I think it's time for our Altair water thirst quencher because we are very thirsty bitches. 
Um, so, Elise, who are, who are you thirsting for this week in this riveting episode of television? <laughs> I'm going to steal yours, actually. Um, the only person that I think is thirst-worthy in this episode is our friend Julian. Um, I just like that he was open with his feelings, and that made me really happy. I also felt like he just looked really cute. Mm-hmm. He really did. He asked for an open and honest answer, and that's how how relationships work is like radical honesty a lot of times, right? Yep. Um, whether they're romantic relationships or platonic relationships, friendships, it's honesty is important. We love honesty, don't we, folks? We do. All right. And then and then finally, Elise, what was your candidate for the most Star Trek moment of the episode? Um, it was um, Varys Sewell, like, or any character, thinking at the beginning of the episode that they know everything and then finding out throughout the episode that they really do not. Just that simple. Learning a lesson. Yeah, and mine was related to that that plot as well. Um, the Tetriarchs, where when the conflict is set up in the open narration of the captain's log, if they can't resolve this, their civil war might result. And it's like, well, is it really civil war if it's between these two clans of or casts of like Bajor, these two groups? Because it's not the whole planet. And it's just like, that doesn't make sense, but it's just very like, a, here are the stakes that we're telling you in the captain's log of these two groups you just met that are about to have a civil war. If we can't resolve whatever the deal is, it's just like, we're explaining this, the stakes are civil war. Like, you know what I mean? If we so. can't fix it, no one can. <laughs> just... Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I got excited. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Elise, in the meantime, before our next episode, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. You can see the show on twitter and instagram at pod rates p-o-d-w-r-a-i-t-h-s and you great and you can follow me on twitter at mattyhugh m-a-t-t-y-h-u-g-h you can also catch me talking about Mad Men on my Mad Men podcast still great bob as always we want to thank DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye.